Thank you, Mr. McCullough. Thank you, Mr. Crespo, for the sermonette. And welcome to all our guests. We have uh, guests here from Florida, I know, and perhaps uh, other states outside of uh, the Carolinas. It's certainly been a beautiful week this past week with the Carolina blue sky and fluffy clouds and uh, just a wonderful week this past week. And uh, we have 215 here today. So uh, welcome to all our guests and greetings to all our brethren and brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. As was mentioned in the announcements, uh, this past week was rather historical. Uh, November 19th was the 150th anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and that was in just 272 words, which became a classic. I remember actually uh, being chosen to narrate that in the eighth grade, so I had an introduction to that many years ago. November 20th was the 36th, the wedding anniversary of Mr. and Mrs. Roderick Meredith, so we congratulate them, and certainly our prayers even now are going up to heaven for them. And, of course, yesterday, November 22nd, was the 50th anniversary of President John F. Kennedy's assassination, and some of us uh, can remember the moment when we heard the news. I was uh, my second year at Ambassador College uh, back then in 1963, and just remembered how it affected us all emotionally. And even just listening to some of the news reports yesterday brought tears to my eyes, and you realize the president had been shot, and then, of course, for a while they didn't know whether he was alive or not, and, but then the announcement that he was dead. That's really affected the whole nation. I hope you've read the uh, excellent Living Church of God commentaries on both those subjects uh, 50 years after the Kennedy assassination by Mr. Dexter Wakefield and also the commentary 50 years, I'm sorry, the other one, Four Score and Seven and 150 is the title of that commentary by Mr. William Williams. And as was mentioned, next Thursday will be Thanksgiving Day here in the United States. My wife and I will be at my sister's home and family in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, Canada celebrated their Thanksgiving Day uh, about a month ago, October 14th. Sometimes uh, that takes place during the Feast of Tabernacles. And next Sabbath, as was announced, uh, Mr. Bardot and I will be giving a TWP uh, Tomorrow's World Presentation in Phoenix, and then on Sunday in Tucson. So we appreciate your prayers for those. It has been very encouraging to visit the various church areas. We were up in Mississauga here uh, a few weeks ago. and Dr. Winnale was up there. We were there for the ministerial conference. And it's always just warming and encouraging to see the Philadelphian love of God's people wherever we travel. We've certainly experienced that here as well. We had uh, two examples that were given to us by ministers there at the ministerial conference in Canada of brethren who in two, two cases in two different church areas were willing to drive four hours to get to Sabbath services, four hours one way. That was one church area and a minister mentioned another church member who was willing to drive four hours just to get to Sabbath services one way. That's Philadelphian zeal. When we have tomorrow's world presentations, as I remember once 
back a few years ago in, San, in uh, Houston, Texas. We were on the south side of Houston, and one of the uh, attendees said, well, uh, where, where do you meet here in Houston for your, your church services? I said, well, in North Houston. So we were in South Houston at the time. She said, oh, well, when you, get, uh, when you start meeting down here in South Houston, let me know. You know, so it's amazing. We are in a Laodicean era where people just are not willing to take the effort to worship God and to make that kind of effort. Uh, many years ago when I was a boy, camel cigarettes were very popular, and they had a slogan, I'd walk a mile for a camel for a cigarette. Uh, people won't drive a half an hour or an hour to worship God, it seems, sometimes these days. We've seen in previous sermons that God's churches are under judgment. If you'll turn to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, 1 Peter 4, verse 17. We know that the process of judgment does not have to be a difficult process. If we understand that we're judging ourselves and we're striving with our whole heart to fulfill our mission and to do God's will. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. And God said, he will do all my will. And that's the kind of heart God wants us to have. 1 Peter 4, verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Our former association didn't like the word obey because it seemed that anything that smacked of commandments or obedience uh, was translated as, as works for salvation. Well, it's not works for salvation. It's expected that you love God, and this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. We're living in the last era of church history. You might turn to Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. We'll be reading from that section probably somewhat extensively. As we know, the Seven churches exemplify the church through the ages. Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote in the Incredible Human Potential book, which is available on Amazon.com. I think sometimes it's on sale for one cent, but then you pay $3.99 for shipping. So some of these books are available. The Incredible Human Potential, if you don't have that, I certainly highly recommend it. But he said on page 158, Referring to the seven churches, quote, These seven churches do apply to seven successive church eras, but they also apply to the whole church through all eras. In other words, the emphasis characteristics, the emphasis characteristics dominated in the first era, and the Laodicean will dominate in the last. But some of these characteristics are found in every era. So while we think we talk about the Laodicean era and the Philadelphian era, the characteristics of Ephesus and Thyatira and Smyrna and Pergamos uh, are all available or, let's say, extant even now. The message is applied to the whole church, and so I have said and written for more than 50 years, but certain characteristics predominate in the various eras. But we know that we have a job to perform. We have a mission, and that energizes us because we see the goal that's set before us. And we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ because that's constantly on our mind as we pray, Your kingdom come. And every time you look at the newspaper or hear a news report, you know 
You want God's kingdom to come, and you're praying for it every day with your whole heart. Let's turn to Revelation 3, verse 19. The uh, lukewarm church. Uh, some of our Bibles have subheads. Your, uh, I have a particular New King James Bible that does have subheads in it, and it lists this before verse 14 as the lukewarm church. Uh, some of you have different uh, publications or editions that don't have those subheads. Verse 19, as a result of Christ's evaluation of the Laodicean church, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So I have to ask myself, you know, do I get lazy? Am I lukewarm? And if I am, I better heed what Christ tells me and repent and become zealous. How do you do that? Well, you exercise godly character and you ask God for the power and the help to do it. That one verse in the Bible, and I've referred it to you several times before, that's so helpful to me when I, he says, and uh, I just look back, I didn't have this in my notes, but I'll just uh, hold your place there in Revelation uh, 3. In uh, Philippians 2.12, he says, Beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, yes, Obedience is a part of a Philadelphian characteristic. We want to do what God tells us to do. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, that sounds like what? We, is that salvation by works? Well, the answer to that dilemma is in the next verse, in verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So if you're weak-willed, if you're having problems, you ask God for that power that He will work in you to give you the zeal, to give you the will, and to accomplish and to perform His good pleasure. Well, back to Revelation 3. So Jesus said, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Dr. Meredith has written uh, in the Living Church News that one of the characteristics of a deeply converted person is the ability and willingness to take correction. And I know, I remember one time when I was an ambassador student years ago, a senior student was correcting me on something. I started justifying myself, and uh, he caught me, and I recognized that I was justifying myself. And it really turned my life around to realize I've got to admit when I'm wrong. We all need to examine ourselves and grow in the faith of Christ. And as Dr. Meredith exhorted us in his sermon last week on Build Faith, was the title of his sermon last week, we all need to build an atmosphere of faith. So my question for you today is, are you a Philadelphian? That's the title of the sermon, Are You a Philadelphian? As you look at the subheads here in Revelation 2 and 3, you see that Ephesus, at least in my Bible, has the subhead, the loveless church. Smyrna, the persecuted church. Pergamos, the compromising church. And uh, by the way, I just mentioned that uh, we've been to the Pergamon Museum in East Berlin uh, where the Germans, uh, archaeologists, taken the altar from Pergamos to Berlin, 
And it's interesting, it does say that was where Satan's throne is when he's talking to them at Pergamos there in verse 13 of uh, Revelation 2. So Pergamos is a compromising church. And then Thyatira, the corrupt church. They do have some attributes, but there are some weaknesses as well. And then Sardis, the dead church. Philadelphia, the faithful church. And Laodicea, the lukewarm church. So we have to ask ourselves, are we loveless? Are we compromising? Are we corrupt or compromising? Are we dead? Are we faithful? Are we, are we lukewarm? Are we unfaithful? Are we duplicitous? We do need to examine ourselves. Let's take a look at the characteristics of the Laodicean church and see, well, do I have any of those weaknesses and any of those problems? Verse 14, to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is Revelation 3, verse 14. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness. We need to be designated as faithful. The beginning or the beginner of the creation of God. I know your works. It's interesting that Jesus said this about the dead church. Um, Chapter 3, verse 1. I know your works. But he says, those works have shown that you're dead. And to the uh, lukewarm church, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. So the fruit of your life, the conduct of your life, the activities, the work of your life demonstrates your character, whether it's godly or ungodly. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's frightening. It should be frightening to all of us and make sure that if any of us have that characteristic, we want to change. Years ago, I gave an assignment, uh, decades ago, in one of the congregations I pastored to uh, do an assignment on what I am in preparation as an examination for Passover. And this one man uh, didn't hand in his paper and he said, I'm sorry, Mr. Ames, I didn't fulfill the assignment. He said, what, what should I do? I said, well, you need to begin your paper. I am a Laodicean. So I think he, he got the point. Anyway, uh, and I'm sure he repented of being a Laodicean. But I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Need of nothing physically, need of nothing spiritually. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You don't want to be naked spiritually. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment so you may be clothed that your shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyes have that you may see. And so we need to make sure that we are seeing clearly and God will help us to see clearly if we keep His commandments, a good understanding have all they that do His commandments. Psalm 111, verse 10. So we can see, we can have understanding if we repent and obey God's Gospel and His instructions. Verse 19, we read before, As many as I love I rebuke and chase, and therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. No, Christ is not wanting to abandon anyone. He was there for you. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, 
I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as also I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So whatever characteristics we may exemplify, we all must overcome. Jesus said he overcame. We need to overcome. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we have to pay attention to Christ's messages to all the seven churches. An interesting comment on the church at Laodicea by William Ramsey. He was an archaeologist and wrote a book in 1904 titled The Letters to the Seven Churches. In chapter 29, Laodicea, City of Compromise, pages 422 and 423. Uh, this is what he writes, quote, There is no city whose spirit and nature are more difficult to describe than Laodicea. There are no extremes and hardly any very strongly marked features. But in this even balance lies its peculiar character. Those were the qualities that contributed to make it essentially the successful trading city, the city of bankers and finance, which could adapt itself to the needs and wishes of others, adapt itself to the needs and wishes of others, ever pliable and accommodating, full of the spirit of compromise. Now we know that in human relations we do want to compromise. We want to yield in a godly way when we become peacemakers. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 13.5, for example, charity does not seek its own. We love one another. We're willing to yield for the benefit of the family or the church or the company if we're not transgressing God's law. On the other hand, how many professing Christians in churches compromise with God's law? We saw that with our former association. So even today, some churches of God allow practicing sinners in their congregation claiming to help those individuals by tolerating their sins. Is that God's way? The Apostle Paul had to correct the Corinthian congregation because it compromised. It was enlightened. And today we have church people who think they are enlightened. Enlightened to tolerate sexual sin, in this case in Corinth. We love the sinners, but we do not tolerate and approve of the sin. We do not tolerate the practice of sin in God's church. Neither did the Apostle Paul. Let's turn there to 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. We realize that some churches of God and other mainstream churches do compromise and they tolerate practicing sinners saying, oh, well, we're just trying to help them. That's not the way the Apostle Paul helped the practicing sinner in Corinth. How did he help the practicing sinner? 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are enlightened. Yes, you are puffed up. 
You are intellectually vain. You are applying the false idea of tolerance. God wants us to be tolerant in a right way, but this is politically correct tolerance, as we would call it in this case. You're puffed up. You're tolerating practicing sin. No, that affects you as an individual if you get into that state of mind. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as absent in the body but present in spirit, I have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. So what does he say? Well, just hug him and show him all kind of affection in the congregation and let's have all these practicing uh, sexually immoral people in our congregation. No. What does he say? Verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was the benefit? What was the result of that action when the Corinthian church disciplined the sinner? He repented, and we find, we won't take time to go through that, but in 2 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, you find out that Paul is saying to the church, accept this repentant sinner back into the congregation. He had repented, and the congregation had repented of their politically correct tolerance of sin and practicing sin. There's a difference, brethren, between practicing sinners and all of us who sin from time to time. We need to make sure that we are not practicing any sin. And certainly God did not tolerate uh, practicing sinners in the congregation here in Corinth. Godly discipline of the sinner eventually led to his to his repentance, but tolerating evil and practicing sin is not godly. Pope Francis uh, stated this, and this is from uh, uh, time.com, Time World, September 19, 2013. Pope Francis stated, quote, religion has the right to express its opinion in the service of the people, but God in creation has set us free. It is not possible to interfere spiritually in the life of a person, end of quote. Did you get that? He said it is not possible to interfere spiritually in the life of a person. What do we just read about in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter? And you judge whether or not the Roman Catholic Church has or has not interfered spiritually in the life of a person, quote, unquote. The Apostle Paul certainly did for the benefit of of the sinner. So are the churches of God today tolerating sin in their congregations? One church of God leader told Dr. Winnell one time, and I was there when Dr. Winnell asked him a question about uh, various people and various uh, churches of God. And uh, the leader of this other fellowship said, we carry a big umbrella. Quote, end of quote. We carry a big umbrella. What he meant by that was that we allow a wide range of beliefs within our church. And even now we're finding a wide range of practices that are not approved by Scripture. So what did the Apostle Paul write? 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, 1 Corinthians 1, 
Just back to page 2 and verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's, a, he's appealing to the authority of Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now we know that there, we all have different opinions, but when it comes to basic sound doctrine of the church, and we have our 29 points in the official statement or fundamental beliefs of the living church of God, that is the, that is the litmus test. You should all, all go ahead and take a look. We all speak the same thing when it comes to those fundamentals of belief. We all have different opinions on clothing and cars and food and a variety of subjects. But when it comes to the core central truth of God, what is is taught in the Bible, we need to speak the same thing. And it's sad that some of our churches of God do tolerate a wide range of belief that are really on the fringe of biblical doctrine and even off the page of true doctrine, true biblical doctrine. God's church does not tolerate sin. Mr. Bob Lee gave an excellent Bible study here last Wednesday night on the wiles of the devil. And uh, as he mentioned, he quoted 1 John 3, verse 10. I want you to turn back there, 1 John 3, verse 10. I'm just uh, reemphasizing this point that God wants us to practice righteousness, not sin. 1 John, the third chapter, 1 John 3 and verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. You might want to, want to underline that word practice and look back up at uh, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. So it's a way of life. It's part of your character. It's your daily practice, your daily conduct and uh, habit. So back here, uh, verse uh, 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And that... uh, Oh, we need to practice righteousness. The Apostle Paul wrote, you don't need to turn there, I'll just mention Ephesians 5, verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So we don't compromise with politically correct, uh, ungodly ideas, teachings, and behaviors, but we expose them by our works, by the way we live. Dr. Douglas Winnell wrote an article in the January-February 2006 Living Church News, Seven Lessons from Seven Churches. This is what he comments on the Laodicean church. The charge against the Laodiceans is their lukewarm attitude, Revelation 3.16. Their wealth and prosperity fosters an attitude of worldliness, They are lukewarm about the truth, obedience to the commandments, and their mission to do a work. They are very independent and have need of nothing. Some Laodiceans feel no need for ministers, government, structure, or doctrinal unity. These are considered dispensable. 
Laodicea had a medical school noted for its eye salve. Yet the Bible describes the people as being blind to their own spiritual condition. Their intellectual sophistication prevented them from seeing their own lack of spiritual discernment. You know, God says he's called not many mighty, not many noble. No, God wants us to use our minds. He wants us to have sharp, sound intellect. But there's a kind of intellect that is vain. It's vanity. Knowledge puffs up, the Apostle Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians. Continuing with Dr. Warnell's article, Laodicea produced fine black wool clothing, but the Bible says they were naked and needed white garments. In a sense, naked Laodiceans lack vital pieces of spiritual armor, commitment to truth, fear of the commandments, faith, love, perseverance, and may be failing to exercise the Holy Spirit. See Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 19. As is necessary to stand firm in times of trial, and to preach the gospel with boldness, end of quote. So, brethren, do we take correction? Are we submissive to the truth? Are we willing to stand up and not compromise with the truth? Dr. Meredith commented on compromising in his article, Faith, Antidote to Worldliness. That's September, October 2011, Living Church News, page 5. Uh, Dr. Meredith writes, quote, If many of us continue to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, we cannot have the faith we need because of the greatest destroyers of faith. One of the greatest destroyers of faith is guilt. You know, uh, just to interrupt in the quotation here, <clears throat> sometimes in the past I felt guilty, and I'm trying to think, why am I feeling guilty? And I have to pray about it and, and ask God to help me to see why I'm feeling guilty. And I, I remember, you know, well, this is a couple of decades ago. I remember that why I was feeling guilty because I had been watching television and I hadn't prayed at that point in time. I really, yes, God's Spirit leads you. He works with your conscience to help you to see what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. And if you're doing something wrong, God's Spirit's going to be working on you to help you to see that there's something you're doing wrong that needs to be changed. Dr. Meredith continues, And when you and I compromise ourselves with this world and with Satan, we are markedly decreasing our own faith and closeness to God. So we don't want to compromise. The seven churches had their strengths and their weaknesses. And Christ wants us to learn from all of them. As he said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are we getting it? I hope we will. And hope we'll hear and understand and take action. Are you a Philadelphian? What are some of the Philadelphian characteristics. And the remainder of the sermon, I'll give 100 characteristics. No, I won't have time for that. But uh, I'll give as many as I have time for and perhaps have to go to a part two depending on, on time. Number one characteristic of a Philadelphian. Philadelphians love one another. They have brotherly love. 
Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. Let's turn to John, the 15th chapter. Do you have love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? John 15 and verse 13. I really don't need to turn to it. I could just quote it, but we'll, I think it's good for us to have that organic connection. That uh, biofeedback, they call it. John 15 and verse 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. We had in the announcement bulletin today those who are signing up to serve those who are sick and ill with the food service. So we really appreciate those who are serving in that way. You're laying down your life and your time. And, of course, he tells us in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So Christ demonstrated His love, time, concern, correction, giving, helping, teaching. And we need to live that kind of love as He loved. Turn to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans 12. Of course, we've had several sermons on loving one another, but uh, we'll take a look at this first characteristic if we're examining ourselves with regard to Philadelphian characteristics. Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans 12, verse 9. The subhead is behave like a Christian. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Today we don't have much abhorrence of evil. It's just accepted. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. You're willing to open the door for someone else. You're willing to serve. You're willing to have others uh, go before you. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Well, those are the ways we love one another. Bless those that per, who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind. Toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So he says, live peaceably with all men as much as depends on you, verse 18. So we again need to not be overcome by evil, verse 21, but overcome evil with good. Remember that all of the seven churches had the same message. He that overcomes will be given whatever benefit or blessing Christ pronounced. So we need that brotherly love. 1 Thessalonians 4. And we know how to love one another. Many different ways. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So apparently the Thessalonians had uh, quite 
uh, were quite mature spiritually. Uh, they had uh, faith with works. They had, uh, well, just looking back at chapter 1, verse 3, says, Remembering your ceasing, without ceasing, your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and the Father. So, brethren, let that be said of us here in Charlotte and Living Church of God around the world. We can have those characteristics, a work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. But back here to uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 9. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. The end of verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 4. That you also aspire, verse 11, to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. <laughs> That's a, oh, oh, isn't that a problem? You're all laughing. You realize that is a problem today. It's pandemic. Uh, people are not minding their own business. I mean, your own business is uh, everyone's business on Facebook and Twitter, and it's just out there. To mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. That you may walk properly to those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. So, John 15 and verse 12. I think we... uh, Already covered that. Yes, we already just read that one. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So that first characteristic is that Philadelphians love one another. They have brotherly love. Are you striving to live by 1 Corinthians 13? Charity suffers long and is kind. I thought when the New King James came out, that would have changed suffers long to patient as the NIV has it. Because the King James... As charity suffers long. It suffers long. That sounds like, like some old ancient King James expression. But the new King James kept suffers long. And uh, NIV has charity is patient. But you realize when we're dealing with um, difficult people, you have all these uh, advertisements for management, uh, dealing with difficult people, dealing with difficult employees, dealing with difficult um, customers. Uh, are we all difficult? You know, we have to be long-suffering. We have to be patient. And that patience does pay off in time. And, of course, we need to be renewing God's Spirit because that is where we get our love, Romans 5.5. 5. God's love is shed abroad in our hearts, poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us in the NRSV. We have uh, sermon number 768, Daily Renewal. We need to renew God's Spirit daily. As I mentioned, we have several sermons on uh, loving the brethren. Uh, Number 249, that was uh, some years ago, Share Your Life. No, do you share your life? That's how you love one another. Love one another, number 426. Number 456, love each other as Christians by Dr. Meredith. And number 510, unconditional love, which is referring to Matthew 5, 
verse 48. So how do we as the Charlotte congregation and other congregations around the world love one another? Well, we pray for one another. We have the church bulletin. We have the uh, from which to pray. We have all our ministers, deacons, and deaconesses listed and some prayer requests as well. We have the uh, Charlotte photo album of some of them. We'll probably update that another few months. But we have that photo album where we can actually take it, and I take it on the bed and put it on the bed and pray for some well, some of you, I think, those who are in the photo album, and pray for you who are not in the photo album. So though hopefully next time you'll be in the photo album. Uh, but it's a very helpful way to know you and to be praying for you. We love one another by praying for one another. We're serving one another in the food service for those who are ill and those of you who are doing the setup for Sabbath services. We love one another by forgiving one another. How many of you have been offended by a brother or a sister or a minister for that matter? Did you ask God to forgive him and were you forgiving? We forgive one another. We also apply Galatians 6 verse 10. Let's turn to Galatians 6.10. It was referred to by Mr. McNair in the announcements with regard to our outreach program. Galatians 6 and verse 10. Uh, certainly this should be part of our mission statement, your mission statement. It's a part of the Charlotte uh, Living Church of God congregation mission statement, Galatians 6, uh, verse 10. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Verse 9. Verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we did have that one outreach program in serving the uh, elderly at, I think it was Carrington, was the name of the Carrington Care Center uh, in Matthews, and uh, that went pretty well. And now January 10th, as was announced, we'll be doing a Habitat for Humanity, uh, helping a poor family with their home, building a home and working on a home. So we want to do good unto all men as we have opportunity. And many of you, as uh, was mentioned also in the announcements, have contributed to our Disaster Relief Fund, uh, which have aided our brethren and other people and communities in Haiti in the past with the earth, great earthquake that happened there a couple years ago and now in the Philippines. So again, you can, uh, as it brought out in the church bullet, you can contribute to the disaster relief fund. So number one, one of the major characteristics of a Philadelphian Christian is brotherly love. Philadelphians love one another. They radiate God's love for all humanity. Philadelphians love one another. They have brotherly love. So under Revelation, the third chapter, heard, uh, Revelation, the third chapter again, I mentioned that we would be reading from Revelation 2 and 3 in the sermon today. Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. It's interesting if you go back to each of the seven churches and see how Christ describes himself 
In this case, he says he has the key of David, which Dr. Meredith has explained and pointed out has to do with the key of government. That is government for, of service to the people and authority for the good of the people. He who has the key of David and who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See how I set before you an open door. So he says, I know your works. What kind of works do we have? Well, obviously implied by the open door that we have gone through that open door as part of those good works. And we've just seen the outreach program that we have. We want to make sure that we are the light of the world, that we are the salt of the earth, that we're doing good works. I remember a a bumper sticker on a car here a few years or so ago that said, do random kind, do random kindnesses, something along that. Uh, randomly do kind good, the good works to people. And uh, do you do that? Do you ever think, oh, I'm going to help someone today? Or you think, well, I hope everyone supports me and serves me today. No, we want to produce good works. Dr. Meredith in his editorial, Do Not Be a Laodicean, uh, wrote, this in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, and Colossians 4 3, the term door, because Jesus said, I have set before you an open door, clearly indicate an opening or opportunity to preach the true gospel. The Philadelphians zealously desire, in italics, to have a very active part in proclaiming Christ's message. They personally work, pray, and sacrifice. So the magnificent, magnificent message of Christ's soon coming kingdom may be powerfully proclaimed to all the nations. Truly having our hearts in doing God's work zealously, using the tools for spiritual growth, and scrupulously avoiding the pitfalls of lukewarmness will help us avoid being Laodiceans, especially if we humbly and passionately seek God in every facet of our life. So that's from his editorial, Do Not Be a Laodicean. I'll just quote it, and you can turn there if you want, but Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. So we are to be doing good works. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, Matthew 5. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now there's a distinction here because Jesus again berated the Pharisees because they were trying to show their good works. They were going out of their way to show how good they were. And we have to be careful. There are some churches that do that. They want to just show, they want to get into the Philippines as uh, fast as they can. And as, as some of the commentators have said, this has been, you know, discussed on the radio shows, that there are a lot of these charities that want to get in, not because they really want to help the people, but because they want publicity. And so we have to be careful that we don't want to have a drum before us or a trumpet before us so that people see our good works. We want to be doing it out of, out of a sincere heart, a pure heart, to help those. And I think all of us are doing that. I'm very thankful. I don't know if it was mentioned, uh, <clears throat> Mr. McNair and Mr. Jim Meredith have uh, 
uh, checked with our brethren in the Philippines, and all of our brethren in the Philippines have been accounted for. Uh, not one has died, so we're very thankful uh, for that. And um, we're, as you've read in the newspapers, uh, uh, their food and water are starting to get into some of the remote areas that were, impo- <coughs> were imp- impassable by roadway or other means. Philadelphians must have works with faith. In his powerful sermon last week, Build Faith, Dr. Meredith encouraged us to practice faith in all aspects of our life and to build an atmosphere of faith. Turn to Romans, the 10th chapter. He quoted this, but it's good, as Mr. Armstrong would say, repetition is the strongest form of emphasis. Romans 10, verse 17 something that can help all of us. Romans 10, it's a memorization verse. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So again, we have to make sure that we are looking to God, to His truth, to His Holy Word. As Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, John 6.63, they are spirit and they are life. Where do you get your spirit? Where do you get your life? It's from God's Word. And it's something that, uh, as we'll see a little later, is very, very precious. Let's turn to James, the second chapter, James 2. Philadelphians exemplify faith and they produce good works. The two go hand in hand. James, the second chapter, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Again, the uh, mainstream Protestants don't like this. They don't like the idea of works. And, of course, what James is pointing out here, it isn't just works and it isn't just faith. It's a genuine faith that is demonstrated by your life and by the fruits of your life. So he goes on to say, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for their body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith. But I have works. And James says, oh, is that so? Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So works, faith, genuine faith, is demonstrable. And we have people, and you, probably many of you, had to step out in faith when you first learned about the Sabbath and you first learned that you were going to lose your job. You had to decide, do I want to step out in faith and obey God, or do I want to keep my job? And we heard the interesting story here by Mr. Crespo, and uh, someone who said, yes, I'm going to the feast. I'm going to obey God. And so we have the faith with works, and some who are still, still on the edge trying to come into God's church, but they still don't have the courage to step out in faith and start keeping the Sabbath, they're still struggling with 
working on the Sabbath and this type of thing. No, you've got to step out in faith. You've got to have the faith with works, trusting that God is going to take care of you. And we saw that demonstrated in the sermonette in that particular case. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Now it's interesting that... uh, that scripture is quoted in, uh, not I don't see it in the marginal reference, but in Galatians, I believe, in one, uh, maybe in Romans, where it quotes the scripture that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so Protestants quote that scripture to say, well, you don't have to do any works. This is really belief. But here James is showing the kind of faith that you need to have is demonstrated by works. And they work together hand in hand. Verse 24, You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And then he gives the example of Rahab. Verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, that's pretty dead, so faith without works is dead also. So the Philadelphians produce good works by faith. Are you living a life of faith and good works? That's characteristic number two. Philadelphians produce good works by faith. Number three, Philadelphians go through open doors by faith. Let's turn to uh, Colossians, the fourth chapter. Colossians, the fourth chapter. I quoted this uh, from Dr. Meredith's uh, article earlier, but let's read it. In context, <clears throat> Colossians 4, he's uh, urging the Colossians, verse 2 of Colossians 4, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Now, there are a lot of things to pray about, and perhaps you haven't prayed for open doors in some time, but perhaps this will remind you that one of the things you should be praying for is for open doors for the gospel. Christ has been opening some doors, and I'll share that with you here in a little while. So we are very excited about the gospel going out to all nations. We, in 2013... We begun broadcasting on new television networks in Russia, in South Africa, and in Latin America. We went on JBN Network in Spanish. That goes to Central and South America in the Spanish language and uh, to 40 million television households. Mr. Hernandez mentioned that in his sermon a few weeks ago. He mentioned that the day that uh, Dr. Meredith decided to go on that network, reaching 40 million television households, we realized it would cost $39,000 on an annualized basis. And the very day he made that decision, we got a special offering for $40,000. 
As Mr. Hernandez said in his sermon a few weeks ago, God paid for it a year in advance. So it was just a wonderful blessing that God gave us to go on that network. And uh, if you go on our Tomorrow's World page, let me just ask you, how many of you have, uh, you English-speaking people here, uh, gone to our website, the Spanish website, El Mundo de Mañana? How many of you have ever done that? Okay, good. We've got uh, 7.5% of our audience English-speaking have gone to the Spanish website. I would urge all of you that have networks, have tomorrowsworld.org. Uh, at the very bottom of the page, you have to scroll down at the bottom. It gives three uh, major uh, links. One is El Mundo de Mañana, which is a Spanish website. Uh, the other one is uh, Le Monde de Demain, which is the French uh, website, and then there's another one, Die Welt von Morgen, uh, the other website. Now, if you go on the Spanish website, and I, I did that uh, last night just to check on it, and uh, there was Wally Smith speaking Spanish. I just had to, <laughs> I just had to laugh. I, I, I couldn't help myself. Here's Wally Smith speaking Spanish. Well, of course, it's Mr. Mario Baez who does the voiceovers. He's a church member in, in uh, Tampa. And uh, he was doing the voiceover. So I, actually, I showed it to my wife uh, a couple weeks earlier, and there was Mr. King uh, speaking uh, Spanish. My wife said, I didn't know Mr. King could speak Spanish. <laughs> well, of course, it wasn't, it wasn't Mr. King. It was the voiceover. So I, I urge all of you to realize, look, Christ is giving us open doors. And brethren, I'd like you to enjoy the fruits of those open doors. Go take a look at El Mundo de Mañana. Um, website, and you'll see some of us speaking Spanish. Then go on to Le Monde de Maine, and there is Mr. Mario Hernandez, not speaking Spanish, but speaking French. So here's Mr. Hernandez on the uh, French website giving a telecast in French. Now we have uh, uh, some other uh, outdoors, and the Die Welt von Morgen, we don't have any telecast in German, but we have an animation in German. And if you click on that, uh, Die Welt von Morgen website, uh, you'll see this very entertaining and uh, interesting animation in German. So, again, Christ is opening up all these doors. And we, um, I mentioned South Africa. We went on that a few weeks ago. Mr. Rod King reported on the beginning of the uh, South African television broadcast, quote, the TW television program aired for the second time this past Sunday across the whole of South Africa, bringing in 87 responses, which is encouraging to the brethren. Of course, that will build over time. But now we have a network going over South Africa that covers basically the whole of South Africa, and we're already broadcasting into China from Hong Kong, and you can go to the home page of tomorrowsworld.org, as I mentioned, with the uh, Spanish and the French and the German websites, but on the lower left you'll see most likely Mr. Weston doing the Hong Kong uh, telecast. And then you can go on the Hong Kong website as well, which is tomorrowsworldhk.com. When you go on there, you will see a choice. You'll see uh, you can choose English, you can choose, uh, I think it's uh, traditional. Uh, Chinese or simplified Chinese. 
and uh, I can't make anything out of it, but uh, I can. But of course, Mr. Weston or whoever is speaking is speaking in English, but those who are in China will get the subtitles uh, from those uh, those particular telecasts as well. So please uh, go and see what Christ is doing in, in preaching the gospel to various nations and in different languages, and go to tomorrowsworldhk.com, and uh, you can see that. So Philadelphians are going through open doors. And not only that, of course, we're getting ready to go on television in India. We're going to try to start small in Goa, India. One of our church members in Canada is uh, from there and is uh, helping us uh, work out the details. And uh, the target there, Mr. Weston, Mr. Tyler, have set uh, January 1st as the target uh, to begin preaching in a limited area to that huge nation, 1.2 billion people in India. The telecast, of course, is now also available on YouTube. I was uh, researching a, a chess match on YouTube the other day. Uh, they're playing chess uh, every once in a while. We do need to remain sane in this crazy world. But here I went on, and what popped up on the side of this YouTube page on chess was Mr. Rod King with the Tomorrow's World Telecast. Oh, wow. Amazing. Here I am researching chess on YouTube, and Tomorrow's World comes up on the side. So that's very, very encouraging to see how Christ is working with these open doors. I'll give one more. Um, looks like I'm not going to get through all uh, 10 or 20 of these comments or these characteristics. Number three, Philadelphians go through open doors by faith. And we're looking forward to the open door in India in 2014. And also there's possibly a network in the Philippines uh, later on. Please pray about that. Please pray for open doors as the Apostle Paul urged us all to do. Number four, Philadelphians have a little strength and rely on Christ's strength. Remember what Jesus said to the Philadelphian church, Revelation 3, verse 8, I know your work. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. No, we are not the great of the world. You might turn to, you know it all, and we sing the song, but let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1, 26, and uh, understand, yes, God can use rocks if we don't do our part, but instead of rocks, He is using weak people. And uh, let's understand that when he says not many mighty, not many noble, that doesn't mean you do not have some gifts. We all have wonderful gifts that God has given us, and we have to identify those gifts and use those gifts. That's another subject, but let's understand that we all can serve in special ways if we identify those gifts. So here in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. He's going to show the world that, look, this isn't going to be done by the great powers and governments and conspiracies of the world. This is being done by my weak children whom I've called. And I'm giving strength and I'm giving conversion. I'm giving power and love and blessings 
That's how God is doing His work. God has chosen which are despised. God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. It's not by might nor by power, that is physical power, but by my Spirit. He said in Zechariah 4, verse 6, isn't it? But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. Well, not worldly wisdom. The true wisdom is in Christ. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, He that glories, let him glory in the Lord. So we thank God for all the benefits, the open doors, the blessings that He gives us. But we must realize that, yes, we still need to overcome. But Philadelphians must remain humble, whereas the Laodiceans say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. We are not the great of the world. When we honored Dr. Meredith's 60th anniversary of his ordination as evangelist last December, December 2012, we gave him an engraved scripture on glass of Isaiah 40. Let's turn back there because I think when we realize Jesus says you have a little strength, but we have spiritual power. And here in Isaiah, the 40th chapter, he tells us where that power comes from. Mr. Herbert Armstrong used to say, Brethren, if you want to know where my strength comes from, it's Isaiah the 40th chapter. And verse, well, let's start in verse 20, well, 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the eternal, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is worthy, nor, nor, nor is weary, sorry. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And there are many among us who are weak physically and need God's power. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. So pray for strength for Mrs. Meredith and all of us. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the eternal shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I remember my very first Feast of Tabernacles in Big Sandy, Texas in 1961. There was an elderly gentleman there, and uh, he'd just uh, been anointed, and he kind of walked with a little limp. And I said, oh, you, you seem to be getting along okay. He says, well, he says, I, I'm really weak. And he said, I just moved my legs and pray that God will give me the strength to keep going. And that's the way some of us are, maybe most of us. We realize that we have to do our part. We have to move our legs and trust that God will give us the strength to walk. And so he gives us this promise that those who wait on the eternal shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Philippians 4.13, I won't turn there, but you know that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So number four, Philadelphians have a little strength and rely on Christ's strength. So today I've given you four of the eight that I had, and I'll continue with part two later on. Number one of the major characteristics of Philadelphian Christians is brotherly love. Philadelphians love one another, and they radiate God's love for all humanity. 
Number two, Philadelphians produce good works by faith. Are you living a life of faith and good works? Number three, characteristics of Philadelphians. Philadelphians go through open doors by faith. We're looking forward, as I said, to the open door in India in 2014. So be praying about that in the Philippines later on. Number four, Philadelphians have a little strength and rely on Christ's strength. Let's turn to Revelation, the third chapter in closing, Revelation 3, and realize that God has called us not just to be Philadelphians, but, of course, to be his children. Revelation 3 and verse 11. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He overcomes, I will give him a, make a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar is a main support. And he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Those who are in the first resurrection will have different responsibilities as you read through the various characteristics of the seven churches. Not all of them are going to be pillars in the temple of God. Faithful Philadelphians will be pillars in the temple of God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, brethren, let's understand that we must overcome, as he said. It isn't just that you think you're a Philadelphian or you think that you're an Ephesian or a Thyatiran. Every one of us has a responsibility to overcome. But he says we are well over able to overcome. In Romans, the eighth chapter, he said we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So God has given us the power, the love, the promises to make sure that we will be overcomers, that we can be faithful Philadelphians. But let's remember that we are also bond servants of Jesus Christ. And that we are the sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. So God has called us to preach the gospel. He's training us to become kings and priests in his coming kingdom. We must strive to fulfill the Philadelphia spirit. We must be a faithful church which keeps God's word, which does not deny his name, which perseveres and lives each day by faith and faithfully preaches the gospel. So, brethren, let's have our heart in God's work, live the Philadelphian way of life, rejoice in the mission that Christ has given us. Let's be a faithful church and fully complete our mission as faithful Philadelphians.